0: guys so we are back today
1: yeah part two of this interesting hopefully episode
0: yeah hopefully right (laughs) um and so last time we got into this long conversation about truth and we covered a lot of ground i think um because on the one hand we were talking about how important this thing truth is um yet we were also discussing that there's a lot of nuance to the concept, uh, and there's more than we typically think. And I know, at some point, we wound up talking about both uh, postmodernism yes. and objectivity. And regarding postmodernism, you know, we had this little conversation about um, the extent to which postmodern philosophy is "quote unquote" the cause of many of these weird social post-truth things that seem to be happening right now. Yes. And uh, I think we both agreed that the ideas themselves can't be reduced to that. And I think I was saying that I think the people that picked up on those ideas could be more responsible for that. Um, But I actually think... And we've talked about this before. It would probably be a good idea to talk more about, like, to do an episode on postmodernism cause absolutely, I think at the end of the day, even though me and you agree on the nuance part, I think ultimately I do think that there are some weird, not good epistemological and political consequences that arise of from course. it, even if it's like obviously not you know Nietzsche's fault himself or anything like that, right? Because that's silly. Um, but I think that would make for a good episode, and. On this issue of relativity, before we get yes. to verification, because I felt like I had to share this with you. So after our last conversation, mm-hmm. um, and I'm already, already revealing that we split this one up. It wasn't back-to-back like it usually is. Uh, I had a class, okay. and I had a, we were talking about argument. And we were talking about the importance of making a conclusion based on all of the available evidence okay and like actually paying attention to you know the the <laughs> argument and not just saying something yes. <laughs> and one or more students started saying well but how do you do that because if someone believes something how are they just going to not say that's the answer and i'm like okay uh, so it makes sense for why you think it's difficult right but that's the point we have to become more quote unquote objective and try to figure out what's going on so i said basically you shouldn't put your belief first and then look at everything through the lens of your belief because that's really ideological what you should do is look at all of the evidence first and then come to a conclusion and they were like i don't i i don't understand how to do that and this was like terrifying to me
1: but you you realize that the students have lived all their life in exactly the opposite model right it's the model that uh, that it's used by all so- sorts of algorithms for example to keep on suggesting you things based on your beliefs right so the idea is i have i have this bubble where i live in and then i relate everything to this bubble and they're used to think this way they used to think that the world works this way and that there's no way and this couple with the idea that I shouldn't judge anybody and that everybody's entitled to their opinion and nobody's going to change their opinion regardless Mm. makes for this disaster where we're living right now
0: yeah and on the one hand it was it's funny like we laugh about it but on the other hand it's like this is scary no it is scary (laughs) and especially if it's it's like this now uh I think it it potentially could get a lot worse in the future which is not good for us
1: Absolutely, because eventually, uh, the the people that uh, that remember living in a different in a different uh, uh, situation will be gone, or will become absolutely callous and disinterested with this thing, mm. and uh, the world will be in the ends of people that think that way. It's all about <laughs> belief and not knowledge and science. So,
0: so let's do our part. And talk about knowledge and truth. (laughs) Um, And let's start to talk about justification. Because we talked about how knowledge was belief, but not any belief. It's a true belief, but it's not just any true belief because correct guesses aren't knowledge, right? They're just accidents. Exactly. We say that the true beliefs have to be justified or verified. So maybe we could talk about that for a little bit.
1: And, uh, uh, which is. Again, it's an interesting concept. This idea, this distinction that you made, right between lucky guesses, pretty much, and uh, and verified true belief. Um, and it's interesting because uh, it's such a difficult, uh, such a difficult approach. I would say, uh, better for some people, this might be strange because they think that well, the truth is the truth, right? Uh, no matter if i if I get there uh by accident knowledge is knowledge no matter if I get there by accident or if I get there by verifying it it 's still the same thing well instead of philosophy, we say, nope accidents are not knowledge right accidents mm-hmm. are not uh, are not the same thing as a discovery for example it 's something that gets verified um and I think the reason for the distinction resides once more uh on, on where we were we're better where um, we still need to refer to the things which we were talking about last time to the fact that this knowledge and truth and even verification I think we will see is something that doesn't exist in the world by itself but it is rather this relationship Mm. between the individual and reality right because otherwise the accident will be still will be okay as well right so it seems that knowledge uh, how can we say uh, demands a specific attitude, we could say, towards the facts. That's and a good this, way, yeah. And this one of this attitudes one element of this attitude is verification.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it because we talked about how truth um, was an interaction, in some sense, or or was dependent on the interaction between some kind of actual world and a subject right and now we're saying i think knowledge even more so a because it is based on truth but b because it involves an attitude um is this relationship between a subject and some group of objects or whatever you want to call it right and the verification thing what separates verification from accident like i always say I think of this example, like, let's say you woke up in a room with no windows, and you don't know how you got there, and you don't have access to your phone, and someone was like, hey, is it rain?" Like the loudspeaker in the weird room just says, hey, is it raining right now? And you say, yes. Now, you don't know that. You're just making a random guess, right? And then let's say when you get pulled out of the, the mysterious room, it is raining, you had a true belief, but you didn't have justification for the true belief, so it, it's not knowledge. Or when people say, you know, X wins the election. Oh, I knew X was going to win the election. <laughs> it's like, you didn't know that. Um, so it seems like knowledge is a subject or a group of subjects having a specific stance towards the facts of the world. And that attitude can be m- multiple ways, right? Which is another way of saying, I think there's multiple ways of justification. Mm-hmm. And the, the two that come to my mind correspond you know, to different uh, epistemological foundations, but you can have rational justification or you could have empirical justification. Not all, not all types are equal.
1: Absolutely. And uh, I think that the... the I cannot think of of any other ways i guess yeah there are, there are um I think there are a combination of the two that you can have together so mm-hmm. to speak uh but i I cannot think of something that's completely separated from this too right um and I think that in philosophy we had this tradition, the rationalist tradition and the uh, uh, empiricist tradition uh that uh that are how can we call it the the forefathers of of the way in which we uh, we describe this kind of verification and I and I want to say that both of them are the, have their limits and both of them have though they're are also something good about them right um, philosophy traditionally doesn't discriminate against one or the other I want to say mm. even though we are usually associated with the rationalistic part with the with the rational aspect more than the 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 empirical one even though i think we're gonna do without the empirical one as well
0: yeah i think that's true and i think that's because we spend so much time uh (laughs) i don't want to say bad mouthing but trying to (laughs) frame science as a discipline that like we kind of wind up pushing ourselves away from a specific type of empiricism but that doesn't mean that philosophy does not involve empirical aspects and so for those of you who are don't quite understand what we're talking about. The basic idea um, is that empiricism, you know, is this view in the history of philosophy that all knowledge is ultimately the result of sensory experience, right? Sense perception. Um, Whereas rationalism is this view that knowledge is ultimately derived independently of sense perception. So you're talking not about things out in the world and you using your senses to identify those things rather you're talking about thinking about definitions and then the relations between the concepts right
1: yeah and i think a good example not to to avoid getting philosophy involved in data which i think again deals with both a good example of rationalistic endeavor is mathematics right yeah and an empirical one is i don't know Physics? No, not even... I don't know about physics. Uh, Chemistry? uh, Okay, okay. (laughs) Um, And it's funny because usually we associate math and sciences like they follow the same kind of methodology, while uh, from my perspective it's absolutely evident that they do not necessarily follow the same methodology. Yeah, very different. We have the one which is math, which is absolutely based on rationality again, while science is based on the so-called scientific evidence which is i go and see and look at something and perceive something Mm -hmm. um but instead we conflate these two things and sometimes we think that science is mathematical right science is something that it's unescapable but that's probably a different kind of conversation
0: Um, yeah that's true though that 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 tendency to conflate the two is is heavy let's say um Mm -hmm. not just with students but with everyday people right it's like science does math it's like mm, not exactly but when we're talking about this distinction i always think of hume right hume's distinction between uh quote unquote matters of fact mm-hmm. and relations of ideas and these are two types of knowledge right and so it has to do with two different types of justification and so matters of fact are things that are true that are about empirical phenomena, right? They're about things out in the world. So, for example, if I said to you, uh, my ring, my wedding ring is on my finger, right? That's a matter of Mm -hmm. fact. And we verify that by using our senses. Um, And the thing about matters of fact is that they are contingent. Yes. Like, there's no reason why they have to be true, right? Like, it just so happens in the moment to be true. But we can imagine the inverse being untrue, right? You can imagine me not wearing a wedding ring. And as we know, a few months ago, I was not wearing this wedding (laughs) ring, right? So there's that. And then we have uh, relations of ideas, which are bits about the relations between concepts, right? So we're talking about abstractions and not concrete uh, physical things, so to speak. And so an example of this for Hume would be like, Two plus two is four, right? You're not making a claim about my hand or the trees or something we see. You're talking about the relationship between this concept of two-ness and addition and equality and four-ness. And -hmm. the thing about mm, relations of ideas is that contrary to with uh, the empirical things, the matters of fact, these are necessary knowledge right you cannot literally consciousness cannot imagine the opposite being true so that's right there one difference in justification types
1: exactly and for that reason Hume also says that we don't need to go and physically check i always tell my students if two plus two equals four all the time right maybe this time is not going to be that way no it's always going to be that way because it's again it's not empirical it's rational rather now, it's interesting because I think that's easy for us to, it's easier for us to understand what it means to go and verify empirical claims. Again, it's raining. You just go, look out the window, and you have verified the claim, right? But mm-hmm. well, instead, rational claims, sometimes are, it's a little bit more, it's a little murkier, I want to say, to establish how, um, when those claims are verified and how do we verify them. Because people might think that uh, the same way in which I verify empirical claim, I can verify I can verify rational claims, but that will be impo- by definition impossible, right? I cannot do that. There is no way of verifying uh, any sorts of uh, of rational claim through observation. Mm-hmm. But then, if it is just a a rational, uh, 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 how can we say, a labor of the intellect mm. verifying these things, then what? how can we make this verification? How can we really verify this, right? Why is it that uh, the lizard Illuminati cannot be <laughs> verified? Uh, okay, no, no, uh, but that would be empirical, right? But how is it that an idea, ra- uh, uh, just an idea again, can be declared as not verifiable or false or not pertinent to a specific field of knowledge. Well, another one can, if it's all in our head, right?
0: Hmm. Yeah. And it seems like this is an issue of working within a set of rules. And I'm doing air quotes because mm-hmm. it's not like the rules are constructed or arbitrary. Um, but working within a set of constraints set up by the nature of thought that work with definitions, right? So we have to have a common understanding of terms. And then it's like once we understand the definitions of the concepts we're working with, we then relate those concepts in thought, see what the necessary and the impossible relations are, and this is how we come to conclusions. So for example, like... If you say two plus two is five, you say um, that is false, because if you understand the concept of two, the concept of addition, the concept of equals, and the concept of four, that like there's it doesn't work, right? They're, like the machine is spitting it back out. It doesn't. It, it's like nonsense. Your calculator is blowing up.
1: Yeah. Uh, right. I'm gonna play devil's advocate here, right? All right. Let's do it. And. You can have this hyper relativistic student or person that says, Well, who says that two mm. is two, that meaning that two is what you say it is? To me, two plus two equals five. How can you, can you verify that mine is non knowledge, and I am mistaken? Mm. How do you verify that? And again, my claim, my, my question is, How do we verify that before without saying, Oh, I have two cups over here? And another two cups, and I put them together. Look, it's four cups. Because then we are doing empirical stuff again, right?
0: Yeah, I think the way I usually respond to that, because that without a doubt always <laughs> comes up.
1: I, you know that. That's, that's why
0: is to say that it's not a matter of saying that everyone has to have the same understanding of a word. It's merely a matter of saying once certain definitions are set then there are things that follow from that definition. So maybe you want to play this game where when you say 2 plus 2 is 4, you actually mean 3 when you say 2, and you actually mean 6 when you say 4. Okay, so you're still saying 3 plus 3 equals 6. You've just swapped what the the symbols mean, but there's still a necessary relationship between the things.
1: So we're saying in, in reality that we need to have a system... In place a system of rules you call it, right, in place before we can have this rational verifications, right? We need to be bound by certain rules, uh, natural or not, uh, and we can talk about the fact that they are natural or not, but uh, but it's there's the precondition to have knowledge, then it seems to be that we need to have a system of reference absolutely. And while the system of reference for empirical knowledge might be reality, the system of, of reference for rational knowledge, we can call it, right, um, cannot be just reality. We need something else. We need a We need uh, a point of reference that is a set of rules uh, posed again, either by nature or by us. Mm.
0: So I, th- so I thought it was interesting that you made a distinction, right? Because that can be kind of implies that the rules are not part of reality or something like
1: that? Uh, yeah, I think, I think that at least not all of them. Again, if we're talking about, mm-hmm. uh, if we're talking about I don't know, the principle of non-contradiction or a specific laws of thinking, uh, the laws that govern the way we f- think, which might be the term... I'm, I'm not necessarily... Uh, committing to the fact that I that I believe that, but mm-hmm. uh, that might be dictated, for example, by the specific shape, form, and matter of our brain, for example, right? Certain things, the way we are made physically, uh, might be dictating certain rules of thought, right? Mm-hmm. The way in which we think might be dictated partially by that, but then there are other rules that are superimposed to reality, I think, by the human species again. Again, we go back to Kant all the time, but again, uh, that's an example, right? Uh, And, and, you know, certain categories, to use one of his terms, might be specific of our mind. And those are rules, a point of reference that we use uh, to verify uh, knowledge and truth.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So probably that would be a good conversation, right? We were just saying we should talk maybe about uh, capital R reality and this notion of, you know, objectivity or yeah. something like that. I think that relates. Um, Absolutely. But, it, but ultimately, we so far, we see that there's this distinction, right, between two types of justification. And if you use one type of justification, you get one type of knowledge. And if you use another type of justification, you get another type of knowledge. Sometimes you do both, and you have this hybrid or you know impure thing, to use Kant's uh, mm-hmm. language. Um, And when you have knowledge that is derived purely rationally, independent of, and therefore before empirical verification, this is what philosophers call a priori knowledge, right? This this Latin from something like from from the before, right? From what is prior. And then if you have this knowledge gained by means of uh, sensory verification, this is what philosophers call a posteriori knowledge, which means you know, after empirical verification. And this distinction
1: is important, right? Absolutely correct. And uh, it is important because one implies, again, that uh, the a priori one uh, implies that you really don't need to go and look at reality every time you you make a statement, while the a posteriori one, again, means that I can say that I know something only after I went and looked right? The one I can say before I look, so to speak, and the other one, I need to go and look first, uh which I think it's interesting, right, and i um I wanna no it's not exactly going back, but I wanna add to this the fact that um I don't want people to think that then the only true verifiable knowledge regarding reality is the empirical one because that seems to be. Right, uh, the right. implication there, right? Because I made the distinction between, you know, reality and rationality so just, and the other uh, references that we use. Um, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that uh, there are two different ways of attacking it and that the pointer references are different. The references that we use, it's like the, the, the ruler that we use that we just just opposed to reality might be different, but that thing is still there, Right. Um, so that I think that's important to say, because otherwise we fall into the uh the fallacy that at the end of the day science is the only thing that can give us the truth of things
0: right yeah and and so there's a couple things coming to mind um the one thing is is this question um that if there is a posteriori knowledge right or empirical truth and there's this other type of truth. I wonder, because it seems like that certain things need to be true a priori in order to set the stage for what is true empirically. Does that seem to be the case for you as well?
1: Um, so can you, can you say a little bit more about that?
0: Sure. So if we make a claim, you know, about, let's say, again, the ring is on my mm-hmm. finger mm-hmm. and we say that that claim is true. Why is it Mm -hmm. true? Well, because I'm looking at it, and you're looking through uh, your computer screen right now, (laughs) and you could see that it's on my finger. It seems like this is already presupposing a set of rules, such as there is a thing, and this thing is distinct from another thing, so those two things can't be the same, and so there's this thing called relation, and certain relations can exist, certain relations cannot exist. And you have to already kind of believe in, for example, this idea of uh, identity and non-contradiction in order for you to engage with the empirical stuff. Because if you didn't have that rational background, we wouldn't even be able to have these conversations.
1: Yeah, yeah. So uh, basically what you're saying is the, the a priori knowledge needs to come before the a posteriori, right? Is that what you said before? Yes, yeah, certain it's,
0: a priori stuff needs to like always already be there in order to even have empirical conversations it seems.
1: It see I would agree uh with that with a caveat though being there before um in doesn't mean that they're before the other stuff ontologically, right?
0: Ah, uh, okay. Like, you're you're not saying you're prioritizing one in terms of its existence. status. Okay. Yes.
1: So, one, I don't think that they exist before the other ones. Mm. Actually, if anything, they come after.
0: Because you have to first experience something and then subsequently abstract from the experience. Correct. Okay. So, what, would you agree with this statement, then, that in the realm of how life is actually lived the empirical comes first and the awareness of the rational comes after however in the realm of like conditions for the possibility of things the rational stuff is already there and is the filter through which you are engaging with the empirical stuff even if you don't recognize it until after the fact
1: Yes. Okay. I would I to say it in a more complicated way, <laughs> I wanna say that in the in the in the life that it's live um irreflexively, right? I think that the empirical comes 1st
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The moment in which we start we start making sense of our existence, the moment in which we start living as humans, I wanna say, then the a priori the rational comes in first place so to speak okay in order for us so i think that again and we're saying things uh that are for sure not popular and we don't even know if they're true at this point but again let's let's assume that animals do not have this they don't verify things rationally right yeah let's say that they're just plugged in the in the universe um I want to say that that's the irreflexive kind of life. And for animals, all there is is the empirical aspect of it, right? And let's assume that the one day one bonobo uh, gets consciousness all of a sudden, right?
0: Uh-oh, it's Planet of the Apes.
1: Exactly. Then at that point, all the rational categories will be in place, right? So it seems that at first you get the reflexive, pure, plugged-in empirical life, and then after you... You get it with the representation, you get everything else, right? Instead, from the perspective of a human being, I want to say, of course, before you, uh, you say that um, Anthony has a ring on his finger, uh, you'll need to, uh, to abide by certain rules or thought and by some, some systems already, systems of knowledge, basically, mm. uh, that will help me understand the empirical claim through the lenses of the rational ones. So I think that that is, this is why I'm saying what I mean when I say that ontologically, metaphysically, probably the empirical comes first, but epistemologically and from a perspective of living a human life, they come after. I don't know if it makes any sense. Yeah,
0: I thought that was clear. So to use a a metaphor, it's like, let's say there's a window and then you're looking, this this is the perceptual window and there's stuff outside the window. Now, even before that window is there, let's say the window is something like human uh, perception and or consciousness, the stuff outside the window, from a metaphysical standpoint, is is there in some way, right? We don't know what it's like. It's probably not there in the same way we're used to being there, but something is there. Right? Hopefully, right? <laughs> right, And someone's going to say, well, thereness and isness is us. And I'm going to say, you're right, but that's the only way I could speak about it. But yeah. you know what I mean? So there's stuff yeah, there yeah. in some loose sense. Yes. Um, and so that's what you mean when you say the empirical is first. You mean that yes. stuff is the out there first. Yes. And then once consciousness comes into play, it's, it wasn't always there. So in that sense, it's secondary. But once that window is there, since everything the engagement with this stuff is seen only through the window. The window then takes some kind of uh, experiential priority because you can't ha- access the stuff without the window. So I, I think I understand what you're saying.
1: No, absolutely. And and again, then there's all conversation to be had on the relationship that, be, that there is between the window and what's outside the window. Right. Is what outside the window, the window itself, that's a completely different, different mm. uh, conversation. Um, but yeah for for the um for the purpose of the conversation we're having today yes we can say that that is that is what i mean um i'm also wondering though considering what we have said uh, i think it seems to be pretty clear uh that at least the way we're defining things that there are at least two kinds of knowledge that we and we keep on we keep talking about different kinds of knowledge since the beginning right mm-hmm. And there is one kind of knowledge that it's easily verifiable, so to speak, which is the empirical one, and that is the probably what we were talking about uh, on the first episode, and we were calling uh, calling it knowing that, right? That is the easily verifiable thing, and then there is the knowing how thing. Which instead seems to be more on the rational aspect of it, all the things that we're talking about. It's the one that's a little bit more difficult to explain and to verify that but it is the one that gives us actually certainty. Okay. Well, so the second
0: So what you're saying is that the knowing that is empirical because it's about a thing out there, mm-hmm. whereas the knowing how requires you to have knowledge of principles operating in the background of the experience of the that
1: right exactly Exactly. okay
0: so i would i would agree with that the only thing the only way i might deviate is to say that i think you can also know that in a rational sense so for example knowing that two plus two is four Yeah, yeah however that may presuppose having the knowing how so it seems like for me i would say the knowing the rational does the knowing that and the knowing how, whereas the empirical only does the knowing how, the knowing that.
1: I was about to say. So we're going back to what we we're just what we were saying before, right? So there is the uh, you can have the empirical knowledge by itself, like the being plugged in, as I I've described it, um, and that's fine. But then the moment you you apply the rational categories to it, then you need to have. Both, at least, the knowing how and the knowing that.
0: Yeah, and this is also very interesting, because, it, like, from our perspective, this might be at like a kind of, what would we call it, genetic epistemological point, but, like, when we're talking about empirical knowledge, we're using language, right? Yes. And, like, <laughs> language already requires abstraction to exist so it's one of those things where I'm wondering like huh can, can you have empirical knowledge completely without having any rational background and I'm, I'm inclined to think like in theory something like that is possible but I don't think that applies to humans above the age of like two or something like that
1: yeah, I don't remember exactly what the cutoff is uh, in Piaget, for example. You know,
0: I think it's like maybe two and a half is when he thinks mental representation starts to exist.
1: Right. I, again, I don't remember exactly, but I trust you. I think it's, I think it's around that age too. I don't think it's much later if if it is, um, because the you're correct because and this is the age where language gets perfected, right? Uh, in in children. Um, so yeah, that will make sense. Um and it's interesting that you mentioned language there because it seems that this tool, I'm assuming that's just a tool, uh helps us make make this generalization and presuppositions and all sorts of things that we do with our mind. It's the language seems to be, at least in this in this context, uh the way in which we apply these rational tools mm. to the empirical states.
0: Yeah, that 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 definitely is an interesting point. And I feel like we could talk, you know, we did the the language episode with Claire and I feel like we could keep doing language stuff and that would last so long because I oh, think yeah. what what most people don't realize is that language is not just language, right? Like when yep. you're doing language you you you're doing metaphysics and epistemology, which it doesn't seem like at first, right? Um but another issue related to something that I've been thinking about, um, knowledge, is we've made this distinction between the a priori right, and, and the a posteriori, and then to bring him up again, Kant, he says, wait, actually, there's a third type, because you can divide a priori knowledge into two subtypes, which he calls the analytic a priori and the synthetic a priori. And by analytic, he means, well, this is knowledge that you have purely by clarifying the definitions of the the concepts in the, the statement. So all bachelors are unmarried.
1: Like tautologies.
0: Right? It's tautology. You're not adding anything. You're just stating something twice. It's like A is A. It's an- it's- you just analyze the thing, right? Whereas there's this synthetic a priori knowledge... That it, that it goes beyond tautology that requires you to relate concepts in a specific way. So two plus two is four, right? The concept of addition equals and four is not already in the, the definition of two. So you're actually synthesizing concepts. Um, so he makes Hume's distinction a little bit clearer Is mm-hmm. is one starting point we can have, right? And just to be clear, when he says synthetic, he doesn't mean like fake or plastic right <laughs> he just means combining <laughs> concepts
1: yes um and it's interesting because again so we are just analyzing at this point what's in the in the realm of the of not the empirical knowledge mm-hmm. right and within there he makes this other distinction which is definitely an interesting one and again to to further um, talk about what he said. His problem is Hume's problem because Hume thinks that two plus two equals four is analytic, meaning that yes. we're not adding anything. That if you understand what the concept of two is, what the concept of plus is, and what the concept of equal is, you're not adding anything. You're just, you know, uh, saying that certain things are one way or another, period. Uh, well, the truth is, though, that, uh, you know, even though Plato thinks differently, <laughs> I had no idea <laughs> that two plus two equal four before I started being familiarized with a set of rules and regulation that made it possible for me to associate things that are not the same things in my head, and maybe um, and it would be interesting if knowledge was simply this uh, this way that we have to make more or less precise metaphors right
0: mm-hmm.
1: I always think about this. I think that in reality, all knowledge is just approximation. And it's just, uh, what we call knowledge is just a metaphor that we use to describe things that cannot be described by associating terms that are not necessarily, uh, associated in the first place. Right.
0: And that's Nietzsche's point again, right?
1: Yep. And uh, I think our, I, I might be more Nietzschean than, than, than what I thought. um, but that's that's isn't that true, right? When we when we have knowledge of something, aren't we, uh, uh, you know, a discovery, uh, uh, something that now we know as as a group or as an individual, isn't nothing but the association of two terms that were not associated before?
0: Yeah, I mean, this is a good question because if you were to ask this question and try to answer it in terms of the three types of knowledge we've distinguished it's like well clearly empirical knowledge is a relation between the perceiver and the stuff about which they're speaking that is out there so to speak right mm-hmm. definitely a relation that that's that that can't be there in the absence of a subject exactly okay now we take one step back and we say what about the anal, uh the a priori synthetic knowledge well It's synthetic. You're relating concepts. So again, it's about a relationship. So that one seems to work. Now, what about the analytic a priori knowledge? Because this one's more difficult. Because on the one hand, you could say, when you say something like, all triangles have three sides, or all bachelors are unmarried, you're like, well, I'm talking about the same thing. It's tautological. One way you could answer. However, you could also respond by saying, Yes. However, when you say a statement like all bachelors are unmarried, you're still talking about conceptually distinct qualities in that uh, bachelor includes uh, unmarried, but it also includes something else, whereas unmarried only includes itself. It doesn't include the male part. So there's, there's still a sorting out, and even beyond that, there's still a relation between to talk about this idea of intentionality, like there's, there's a consciousness that's conscious of these principles. So it seems like it would apply there too, right?
1: Yeah. And I don't see how, and the only distinction I will make is that in the analytic kind of, uh, of knowledge, maybe we're just stating um, stale metaphors, right? Stale metaphors. (laughs) Yeah. Metaphors that are kind of, and we are associating concepts that were already associated. We are not, we're not being as creative, I want to say. Yeah. We're just we're just playing with rules that are known to all. Well, instead, when we, uh, when we, when we use the the when we are having some sort of synthetic knowledge, we are putting together new things. We are uh, discovering something new for us. We are associating things that were not associated before. Mm. It's like analytic. Analytic knowledge is like getting married to the same person over and over again. (laughs) Well, the synthetic one is instead getting married to a new person.
0: Okay, that makes sense.
1: (laughs) It's it's interesting because, again, but then when you say something like this, then you become this postmodern guy that's denying Mm. the existence of knowledge because all is a metaphor, all is an association. Uh, What people fail to see is the fact that uh, to associate things, things need to be there. The metaphors are metaphors of something, mm. so there's not denying uh, an underlying reality, and the metaphors, there are metaphors that work, and you can ask Claire, uh, oh, and there are metaphors that do not work, mm-hmm. and the metaphors that work are good ones, and that we call knowledge, that we call truth, and the ones that do not work, there's a there's our wrong beliefs, falsehood, and and so on,
0: yeah. And it seems like like this, like this aspect of the, the quote-unquote postmodern thing, right? Because it's also hard to do that with a capital P because like with existentialism or like with many things, it's more like mm-hmm. postmodernisms. So this is the part that, that I agree with you with, that this is just doing good metaphysics, right? Yeah. Um, so I'm on, I'm on board with you there. Uh, as for other stuff we haven't talked about, I think that would be a good conversation because i think that's where maybe the, the disagreement comes into play but you're absolutely right yeah. this isn't doing it this isn't destroying um actuality it's just clarifying what actuality is and what our relationship to actuality is
1: exactly and it is saying uh simply this is why it's post-modernism this is saying modernity was a little bit too optimistic <laughs> mm. they thought that Everything was clear and everything was easy. And as long as we use uh, the rational tools uh, that we have, we're going to have everything clear. Everything is going to be fine. Not like that. Because, again, there are bad metaphors. This happens. People make mistakes. And people justify things with reason that shouldn't be justified with reason. Again, we live in a world where people think that there are the lizard Illuminati, Then there are, that the earth is flat and, I don't know, and other things that uh, might be a little bit more controversial and we shouldn't talk about. But again, <laughs> that is the, hopefully, again, hopefully the, the lizard Illuminati are not that controversial. Um, hopefully, yeah. But, that is the thing. I think that the optimism of modernism, of the modern, was um, Eventually corrected by postmodernism, and I think that we we do need at this point to correct the pessimism of postmodernism.
0: Mm, good distinction.
1: Eventually, uh, and we will need to. I think that that is the challenge of for philosophy today uh, to find a balance between these two things.
0: That's a good uh, distinction, and it puts us in a in a funny position where Kant at once was the exemplar of modernism, however. It's his ideas about the the subject constituting objects that would also be the kind of forefather to postmodernist thought. It's like him and Nietzsche in this weird way work together.
1: Yeah, yeah. and I think, and again, this is this, this is turning into an history of philosophy episode, but but I think that there is uh, a, a connection, a very strong connection between uh, Kant, Nietzsche, and eventually. The postmoderns, uh, and the one that I know better, the, uh, definitely, like with, it's not it's not by chance that Foucault writes, again, what is enlightenment. Mm. Uh, it's not by chance, but it is not. And another thing that sometimes gets a little bit confusing for people the postmoderns don't hate the moderns. Mm. I think they have an enormous amount of respect for them, at least for some of them, and can't definitely. It's just a matter of, again, correcting. You know, And 200 years after Kant, everybody's smarter than him. Everybody can see more things, right? Uh, we would be in trouble if it wasn't the case. 200 years after, uh, a philosophical mind can and should probably make corrections to what someone else did. Otherwise, we will still be with tallies.
0: That's a good point, right? Everything is always building from everything else. And I think the main issue for me, without getting into it, is when we start to um, condemn quote-unquote logocentrism and this sure. whole idea, right? Um, but we've, we've covered, I think, a lot of ground, and yet there's still so much more that we haven't covered, and, and I think we're running out of time here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, one thing we haven't covered is, wait a second, what about instances where justified true belief isn't knowledge? And all these Gettier problems where it's like, you had a belief, it was true, and it was justified, but it winds up being true for reasons other than the reasons you thought they were true, right?
1: Mm-hmm. And also, I think that there are other issues there With there, there are related, for example, to scientific knowledge once more, where we have justified true beliefs that are justified and true for a long time. And mm. then all of a sudden, whoops, <laughs> what went wrong there? Was the belief really not justified? Because it was, according to the rules that we had wasn't that true then? And how is that possible, right? And I, and I think that this concept of truth, uh, might need also, uh, its own special episode eventually.
0: Mm, that could be fun. Yeah, I feel like this, this is the, the good stuff that we could talk about uh, for a long time. And way too long. <laughs> way too long, right? And, I mean, we've been doing it for 2,000 years, right? More than that. Yes. So I, yes, at the yes. end of the day, I know that my complex landlord mows the lawn at inconvenient times and you've probably heard it throughout the no, end of no, this I, have, I haven't yet so you haven't but I think the listeners would like it's every time <laughs> I teach a class or do one of these things <laughs> for just an hour so that's my empirical <laughs> knowledge um, I see and I guess I we see. can end there for today and talk about some stuff in the future
1: alright see you soon
0: see ya